Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's UPR's Fall Member Drive, and uh, on Access Utah, that means uh, some great programming and an appeal to you to support Access Utah. So today we're going to be talking about bridge building and civil discourse. How do we talk with each other, understand each other, connect with each other, when the divides only seem to be deepening? Our guest for the hour is Jason Gilmore, Associate Professor of Global Communication at Utah State University. He's author, along with Charles Rowling, of the new book, uh, Exceptional Me, How Donald Trump Exploited the Discourse of American uh, Exceptionalism. Uh, Jason Gilmore, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since we've been in the studio together. Yeah, it's you know, nice to is, be back in the studio, for this sure. Is, this is great. Now, the title of the book might might seem to go against what we're wanting to talk about. <laughs> well, so we'll, we'll talk, maybe you can jump in and uh, tell me about the book. Yeah, so the, the, the idea behind the book was um, to examine how Donald Trump is um, so effective at uh, convincing Americans to, uh, to follow him politically. Um, and it was from the perspective of um, understanding that his followers are not this homogenous glob of, of like-minded, all-similar individuals, but that they're, you know, they're real Americans who love their families and love their communities and, and want to see better things happen in the world. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to see how it was that Donald, Donald Trump was, was able to, to appeal to such a, a diverse group of people. Um, I think a, a lot of people on the left would like to oversimplify his appeal, that it's, you know, it's his, his dog whistles on race and things like that, which are the things that motivate his, his supporters. And I would argue that that's, to a certain extent, there are some of his supporters that are motivated by that. But we wanted to really dig deeper into what were the kind of core identity pieces that he uses in his discourse. And it's, a, it's an appeal to the nation. It's, a, it's an appeal to the greatness of, of America, something that we all share, right? We all share in this kind of evolving definition of what is America. Um, but he has a very specific kind of angle at that. It's very strategic. Um, it's, it's thought out. It's planned. Um, it's, just, it's not just off the cuff like a lot of people think. Um, so for us, it was not about, you know, kind of cutting a divide between Trump supporters and non-Trump supporters. It was actually attempting to understand that, you know, like everybody in this nation, Trump supporters are a, a complex group of people, right? And uh, so we wanted to, to see their humanity and we wanted to see what it was that appealed to them. I want to uh, bring up uh, here, uh, I want to uh, Better Angels, I think we've heard of, uh, of that group. That they foster uh, political dialogue, dialogue across, sitting down with people on the opposite uh, side from you. They're now called Braver Angels, mm -hmm. they say, to, to, to uh, indicate, uh, take some courage to do this, right? It does indeed. Um, and they have a spectrum here. I want to have you uh, respond to this. So uh, it, it's, it's a spectrum that indicates how we see the other side, mm -hmm. how we see those folks, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, for example, uh, if I'm a liberal and I'm looking at Trump supporters, right, you, uh, on the far side of that, they're enemies. You know, that's, that's hatred. They're deplorable. That's disdain. They've been duped. That's pity emotion, right? Mm -hmm. They have something to contribute, basic respect. They have a lot to contribute, respect and appreciation. Mm -hmm. that, that, whole, that whole spectrum, I wonder if that resonates with you. It's, it seems to be, I mean, some politicians are, 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 and some media are going straight for that, uh, that core emotion of hatred, 
mm-hmm. or disdain, or I guess because it sells, right, or gets gets votes. Um, but if we lump everybody in the opposite into one of those, uh, then we, then we've lost their humanity, right? Yeah, I mean, so my background, um, you know, for the listeners, uh, my background is I grew up as a I'm a I'm from Denver, Colorado, but I grew up in in Guadalajara, Mexico, for many of my formative years, and I've had you know uh, exposure there ever since. And uh, what that has done is it's it's given me kind of a, a sense of of uh, you know. How is it that that we navigate these differences? Because I was always in that space of being different, not only when I was in Mexico, because I was clearly as a white male, very large man. I was very different from the crowd around me. But because of the cultural, uh, the acculturation that I endured down there, right, taking on some Mexican culture, when I came back to the States, I didn't necessarily understand people up here, right? People would see me think one thing and didn't understand that you know, I had kind of come from a different background. So I think the thing is, is that um, what I like to, 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 to teach when it comes to this is, or, you know, so what I teach the most is how do we navigate cultural differences? Um, and in my Intro to Global Communication class, in my advanced classes, um, there's one core piece that I, that I talk about. Um, first and foremost is that the only thing that we can assume about other cultures, about other nations, is that they are, like I was saying, incredibly complex. They're not single-faceted. They're not, you know, we, we tend to group them all together and think about them, uh, you know, as, as if they're all the same. Um, my colleague and I went to a Trump rally um, when we were writing the book, um, and we talked to um, all kinds of people. And we asked them, why are you here? What, you know, what do you get out of this? What... You know, and, and by and large, most people were reporting on the fact that they were concerned about the nation, right? And they were making sure that their kids had a safe place and that they saw Donald Trump as the, the way to get that done. And so, I mean, it was very easy being um, around people who are hospitable to you um, to, to see their humanity, right? Because they're being nice to you. They're, they're giving you a check on the shoulder and they're laughing with you about things. You might disagree about some fundamental things politically, but you're still human, right? And I, I think maybe a last kind of piece in this is, so I love this spectrum. I love this idea of, you know, the more we challenge ourselves to start to appreciate that people are just people. They, they disagree with us, but, but they're trying to do their best, by and large, right? There are some nefarious people out there on, on all sides of the political spectrum who want to harm others. But the grand majority of us are just really busy. We're trying to do our best for our families. We're trying to, to raise our kids right. We're trying to make enough money so that our kids are, are well off in the future or can go to college or have opportunities, whatever it is, um, that we just don't have time um, to to engage with intelligent discourse and unfortunately that's we're we're going further and further apart last piece i know you've got more questions for me but what i have been noticing kind of culturally is that i think people are starting to to be tired of how divided we are Mm. i'm I'm starting to to get a feeling both from my students but also just in media as i watch that people are like i'm just exhausted at hating my uncle Right. My uncle, when I grew up, uh, 
uh, he used to pay me $25 an hour to, to work on his um, construction site, right? When he was paying everybody else $20 an hour because he was trying to give me a leg up. That's the same guy that I disagree with politically now um, and haven't talked to in a long time. I'm kind of sick of that. I kind of I kind of want that family, right? That community around me again. And the only way to do that is is to respect our differences. Um, th- that is hopeful. That is hopeful. Hopefully that would be an impetus for us, right? To, to, to start to do some things that are healing, right? It occurs to me if you're on, uh, it, the easiest place to be on that spectrum that I, that I read is maybe at the hatred or the disdain uh, part because that's that's what we hear in media a lot right and and i guess they do it or we do it I've, we're part of media right hopefully we're on the better side i hope uh here at npr upr but the reason the media does it is because that's what sells right and so it, it takes work to 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 get more nuanced more complex it takes work to get to the other side of that spectrum doesn't it it does you know i heard somebody say this the other day and i don't i don't really know uh, who it was, but the pandemic was was unfortunate in a number of ways, and one of those ways was the fact that we we were no longer I don't want to say forced but required we were no longer in the position to be inside of physical spaces with people that we disagree with, right? Work, right? We used to go to work and we'd sit in an office and the person across the aisle might be a Biden supporter and I'm a Trump supporter or whatever it is, right? It's not just always political divides. But we lost those physical spaces where we saw the humanity in others, even though we disagreed on things. And so we, we kind of went into our own uh, lockdown spaces. And then in the public arena, it became very uh, divided because it was who wore masks versus who didn't wear masks. And it created even more rancor between us, right? And it was very visible. Oh, you're on that side and we're on this side. Right. It was it, the, the pandemic just created these spaces. Right. And the 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 need of some of the social movements also erupted at the time. So it felt like um, we were just so divided. But now we're starting to share spaces again. Right now we're starting to come back into spaces with one another. And I think that's an opportunity for us to 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 seek out the humanity in others. Now, listen, I'm not promising pie in the sky. I'm not saying we're just going to be kumbaya for the rest of uh, uh, rest of our days if we all just see the humanity in others. I'm realistic in the in the sense that um, that I don't think the entirety of humanity moves in that direction. But I do think that culturally, if we decide to do that. We can move in that direction. We can calm things, right? We can, we can create a new discourse, right? New expectations for our discourse, but we have to seek it out, right? I would, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. NPR, UPR are better spaces to have these conversations um, because in, in the, you know, private, privately owned media spaces, yeah, what's selling and what currently s- still sells is the divisive stuff, right? The stuff that puts us in our camps. Um, but again, I think, I think I've said this in this room a few times. I think we miss each other. I really think we miss each other, even though, yeah, oh, no, that uncle or, mm, right, they really get under my skin. But is your rancor towards your uncle keeping you away from your cousins? Right. Or keeping you away from that entire side of the family where it's just the uncle really that has that. 
but you've separated yourself from the entirety of that side. Right. So I'm just looking for opportunities for us to, to build bridges. Right. Mm. So again, my past is as a cultural bridge, right. I'm not the person who draws the lines in the sand. I'm, I'm the one looking for how do we reach across? How do you, uh, I, I think sometimes we are concerned, rightly so, about keeping our own integrity, right? Not not being seen to be agreeing with with your uncle when he, you know, and I'll just give the example of, you know, maybe me on the liberal side. I think more of our listeners are liberal. Uh, you know, okay, you get uh, you get together with that uncle who you miss, who paid you the 25 uh, cents, uh, you know, an hour, you miss him. Um, but when you sit down and if you talk about these things, he's going to say January 6th was just a bunch of tourists and, uh, and he's, he's going to throw in a few QAnon things and, uh, and you know, your blood pressure is going to get a rise. So, so how do you accomplish that? Well, again, it might not be the uncle that you are looking to, to really bury the hatchet with, right? It might be, um, the people around your uncle that really are the ones that matter, right? Because it's. It, the toxicity of our politics are these vocal radicals, these people who just take up all the oxygen in the room by screaming their hatred, right? When all the rest of us are like, well, I don't, I'm not sure I'm with that person, but it's hard to speak over them, right? Because they're taking up everything, all the air in the room. So that's what I argue. You know, I, I, I you know, in my family, I've, I've come to realize that um, I have different audiences that I might influence, and my family is not my sphere of influence. But I think most of us feel like that's where we should be influential, right? That's where we should change people. Um, but maybe it's it's about sitting down and just listening to people. I worked uh, with an organization up in uh, Seattle called Common Purpose, um, and they do political organizing, right? And so they they um, they train volunteers to go into um, neighborhoods to to register people to vote, to try and get people to vote for their candidates, and they engage in what they call compassionate listening. And it really is about um, uh, taking a step back and not having to say anything, right? And not, not necessarily filling the air, but just listen where people are coming from. Instead of asking them whether they agree with J- January 6th or not, maybe ask them, what are they concerned about, right? What is it that, that has brought them to support these notions? You might see, come to find out that the path that they got to where they're at was probably well-intentioned, um, but the, the choices and channels maybe drove them down the, the, wrong, the ra- wrong rabbit hole. So it is, I'm not saying we can all save each other from our QAnon rabbit holes, um, but I do think that if people feel compassion and respect, they might choose not to believe those things quite as deeply because they're feeling something different. But if they chase down that rabbit hole and they look over and all they see is hatred in your eyes, then it's so much more easy to believe that stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that is hopeful. I love that compassionate listening. Yeah, and you know it's harder than it sounds, right? I would imagine. Oh yeah, <laughs> you have to be trained in it. You have to have to be trained in without it without a doubt. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that that is a that is a very helpful thing. Uh, well, let's take a uh, head toward a break here. Uh, much more to talk about uh, on this. I want to, I'll throw a couple of quotes here from you from a conversation we had a while ago with Peter Coleman, um, who is uh, with the Morton Deutsch International Center for Cooperation and Conflict Resolution. And um, 
he uh, he said, for example, we'll save this for the next segment. He said uh, uh, encounters like those sponsored by Braver Angels, well-intentioned but not enough. In other words, you come together for an afternoon or a day, it's just not going to be, you know. He would probably say, you know, better to try something than nothing. But uh, we'll talk about what really uh, uh, uh Really works, right? And and from your work in cultural exchange. Uh, but before we do that, um, let's turn to our UPR community, and uh, just uh, would love to hear from you, Jason, on your appeal to to fellow listeners, fellow members, why this is so important to support uh, conversations like this one. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with that, right? Conversations like this one that challenge us. Uh, to think about how to move humanity forward in positive ways, right? So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get critiqued sometimes for, for saying we should reach across the aisle and things like that. But I think we should have these conversations and I think we should be challenged by our media, right? It shouldn't just resonate. If, you're, if everything's resonating with you, you're not listening to the right channel. You need to be challenged. You need to think more critically about things and you need to see the other side and that's what public radio is that's what upr gives right it gives perspectives not only from around our community but from around the world so uh, you know i'm a i'm a sustained member have been for a long time i love this station i think everybody else should as well no uh i think listeners uh, perceptive listeners uh, may have noticed um I can continue listening, and it keeps going, right? UPR keeps going even if I don't give. Why should someone like that give? Um, I think you get to be a part of the community, right? You get to be a part of pushing something like this forward. And if we're talking about creating better spaces, if we're talking about moving our our uh, communities and our world forward in positive ways, we're going to have to take a step. We're going to have to lift up places where, where they're championing, championing these, these uh, voices and these conversations. Right? We need to contribute. This is one important way to contribute is give to your local public radio station. Give to UPR. Do you want to give the number and the website here? It's you right up it. there. It is uh, 1-800-826-1495. That's 1-800-826-1495. And the website is upr.org. So join your support with Jason's. Uh, he's a member, sustaining member, you said, right, of uh, Utah Public Radio. Join your support with his, with mine, uh, with with all of our support uh, and uh my reasons are same as yours, Jason. I, I give to UPR because I appreciate the programming and I want to see it continue. Um, and your support right now will, uh, will make Access Utah stronger, but uh, it'll go beyond that. It will uh, it'll help support uh, Beehive Archive, the program that you'll hear later in this program. Uh, Wild About Utah, Undisciplined, uh, um, the list goes on and on. Uh, your support right now supports all of that, and you join this very important community. A uh, member of Utah Public Radio is a very important title. That uh, means you're part of the solution. 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upr.org, upr.org. And I would love to see your support. 
I, I take it kind of personal, uh, Jason, with the <laughs> calls coming in during this hour, to see, hey, what we're doing is working. Or maybe you have a comment, you'd like to see some improvement. Uh, let me know that. Um, UPR.org, UPR.org, or 800-826-1495. We'll take a short break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with Jason Gilmore, Associate Professor of Global Communication at Utah State University. He's the author, along with Charles Rowling, of the book Exceptional Me, How Donald Trump Exploited the Discourse of American Exceptionalism. And we talked earlier in the program about how he and uh, his co-author went out to Trump rallies and such and uh, talked with Trump supporters, right? That, And that's a first step, right? If you're, if you're a liberal, you're, you're bridging that divide. I guess a Trump supporter... Seek out a, a liberal of uh, your favorite liberal and and then have a conversation, right? Those are political divides. There's cultural divides as well. It just seems like things are getting worse. But you've given us a little bit of hope, uh, Jason. You, you you say you feel like we're getting exhausted with the with the divide. I think that probably resonates with our listeners. It is exhausting. It's exhausting not only to to just feel that you're divided as a nation that that you don't see the identity of the nation. Um, but just exhausted by the hatred, right? Exhausted. There's a, you know, I've done trips down to the, the South um, to learn about the civil rights movement. And there's a saying, I'm going to get it wrong because my memory is not the, the greatest in the world. But uh, it's something along the lines of, of hatred is a poison that corrupts the vessel that holds it. Right. So if we are holding the divide and we are holding the line of hatred and we are pointing at the other side, then that hatred is corrupting us from within, right? It's, it's a toxicity that we are holding inside of ourselves and that that is getting in the way of our own mental health, our own sense of calm, our own sense of community. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we're tired. I don't think any of us have, and I'm not here to say that I have the answers to, to cure the political divide in America, um, but uh, I think we're ready for some discourses about how we can, um, you know, I'm not asking liberals to go out to a Trump rally or, or conservatives to go out to a, a Biden rally. That's a little bit much. Um, you know, I'm just asking for everybody in their communities to maybe to imagine a way to, to, um, to bridge a divide, right. To be a cultural bridge. There are some of us that are just kind of meant to do this or have our experiences have put us in a place where we just understand we see that difference. We, we see the humanity in people because we've been placed in the middle so much. So a lot of the times it's, I'm just calling out to the other cultural bridges in the world who just know those spaces to activate, to, to, to take you know, action in their communities as well. Um, so I want to make reference now to a conversation I had several months ago with uh, Peter Coleman. Um, and he's written a book called The Way Out, How to Overcome Toxic Polarization. Uh, so let me just uh, pull this up. He, he says that viewing today's culture of contempt as an addiction offers a clue to a way out. He says uh, um, you know, treat this exhaustion from polarization like an addiction. So, you, you know, you can yourself kind of wean yourself off or, or help others to do that. Um, but he says it's going to take a sustained effort. I just want to quote him. He's talking about a Better Angels meeting, I guess, that he, had, he attended. They're now called Braver Angels. They get people together. Um, so he says, Peter Coleman, just meeting with other people, particularly once for a short period of time, is insufficient to changing people's attitudes, habits, and the media they watch, the internet that they serve. 
all those factors contribute to this, and you're not going to change all that behavior with an encounter. Uh, he goes on to say it's really going to have to be a constellation of answers that we come up with together and ideally sparks a social uh, movement. I wonder if you would uh, agree with that as a you know, sustained effort, uh, not just one meeting. I, I mean, without a doubt, one meeting you know, might do something for you, but um, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's yeah. Is it going to change habits? Is it going to change uh, patterns? Probably not. Um, you know, as an individual um, who kind of spends time in this space, as I think about how to best do this work, is that you got to start with yourself, right? Um, you got to look at yourself first. What are the things in me that I need to change? And so sometimes I think that actually it's not about necessarily reaching out to that other divide or that other side. Sometimes it's about enacting cultural change within our own isolated groups, right? Exhibiting uh, behaviors that, that go against those norms um, that say that, you know, perhaps we can, we can still fight for what we believe in without vilifying and demonizing the other side. Um, you know, perhaps we can we can make that. And I argue this time and time again, um, that uh, if you want people to vote for you and people who are unsure about which side to be on, you're not going to do that through hatred. You're not going to recruit people in the middle of the ground um, through hatred. You're going to recruit them with compassion. And so just on the on the side of if you want more people to vote for you and you want more offices and you want to see your legislation, you want to see your laws enacted, um, you're going to need to, to understand how to appeal to people, right? Using the word deplorable is not going to do it. A reference to Hillary Clinton there. Indeed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to uh, switch to uh, to – cultural divides and the cultural mm -hmm. exchange, and that's the, the work that you do, right? Sure. Which ha obviously have, has application to political, uh, you know, divides and pro political bridge building. Um, did this come out of your your experiences? I'm imagining that probably did, your time in Mexico and then coming back. and Yeah, did my kind of interest in... Interest in this, yeah, and, and, and your work in this. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I've always, I think I said something similar to this at the top of the hour, but, uh, you know, I've always felt just a little bit not part of any group I'm, I'm in. Um, you know, I'm what you call a third culture kid, and so I was formed by two separate cultures, very different from one another, but I'm not entirely of e any of them. And so I've always kind of spent some time on that fence. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely born out of that, but it was also born out of – so uh, throughout my college experience, now as, a, as an educator, taking my students into different cultural spaces that, that challenge them to become these cultural bridges, to, to navigate very difficult uh, spaces um, culturally, um, you start to see how much that changes people how much that affects their own understanding of themselves. Um, you know, sometimes the best way to understand yourself is to get away from your community, right? And to see the problems of your community is to, to, to detach from that bubble. And, uh, you know, what a better way than to go to Ireland or to go to Mexico. You know, these are places where I take students. Or even on the Civil Rights Pilgrimage when we went to the South because, 
you know, we took um, people from the Seattle community who tended to be liberal. Uh, we took some uh, members from here who were liberal and conservative, but down into a space where people had these notions of who the Southerners are. Well, you know, your notions from afar are very un, uneducated and very uninformed. Um, so let's go and have some conversations with them, right? Let's go in and just steep ourselves in the culture of the space. Um, and it's transformative. And so that's what I dedicate myself to. This is, this is uh, something that uh, as a professor I'm, I'm fully dedicated to. This year I'm, try- I'm taking three study abroads. Um, and it's based on that notion that what I want to do is I want to I want to empower people to become these cultural bridges, right? The people who can who can kind of take the heat from people who need, right? Who have that emotional need or addiction, as you were talking about, for division and hatred and 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 things like that, and kind of uh, model a different a different approach to things. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more. Maybe can you use some examples of, you know, do you remember maybe it's civil rights or, you know, trip to recently you took some students to Ireland. You go on to Brazil and Mexico. And uh, is, is there maybe a student that stands out or an experience or two that stands out in under what you were just saying? Yeah, I mean, taking some of our students from Utah to Brazil, I think, was um just absolutely transformative because um, we went to Salvador, Brazil, which is uh, in the northeast of Brazil. It was the last uh, slave trading port of the Americas, so the last place that that slaves were shipped in. It's an incredibly rich space from the Portuguese settlers, the African um, slaves that were brought in, and the the indigenous uh, people who were native to the space that has now kind of created a community that that represents all of those factions. And so you have all of these factions having to live together. Um, so just to take people into that space that that takes their American conceptions of things like race and things like difference and and allows them to kind of be the outsider to see how a different culture approaches it. Um, you know, we're going to do a radio series um, some, with some lessons from Ireland. Um, and that's how we approach it, right? So our philosophy in taking study abroad is that we're not going to learn about other people. That's part of it. We'll learn about them, their history. The philosophy that we follow is that we're going to learn with them. Or I'm sorry, from them. We see them as we elevate them to our own level. Right, so this is kind of a, a going against these notions of cultural superiority that Americans aren't unique about, right? But it is embedded in this notion of American exceptionalism that we are this this kind of superior race, or the or I don't know about race, but superior culture, um, and really kind of knocks that down off the shelf and says, well, let's elevate other people to our level and understand that they could be our teachers, right? So we don't just learn about them; we learn from them. And then my colleague and good friend, Sidi Mayara, who's a, a, a assistant professor in my department, also of global communication, he says uh, that it's also important not just to learn about them and from them, but with them. Hmm. That we sit in spaces where, where the lessons are reciprocal, right? That we're learning about the world and each other uh, together, 
right? So that we, we, we not only kind of see ourselves on the same level, but now we almost see ourselves as in the same group. Um, and this is just fundamental to these transformative experiences. You can take somebody abroad, march them around to places, and they can return to the United States with the same notions of cultural superiority, right? Complaining about why the service in France sucks and the, this is bad and, in, you know, in America this would not fly and come back and having, having learned nothing. Um, so this, this approach really says you're gonna, you need to learn not just about them. You need to learn from them and you need to learn with them. So it's a rich learning experience. And I think that model is something that they can, they can bring back into their own spaces. So I'm wondering how you, uh, you know, easier said than done, right? Um, I guess there, there is value in just spending some time with somebody, right? But, but you're talking about a framework, I think, right? Yeah. And some specific goals. Yeah, I mean, we train our students before we leave, right, in, in uh, certain values that we have as a trip. And really, if, if you don't buy into this, right, if it's something that you just, eh, I don't know about this whole thing, I just want to go and, you know, spend time at the pub or whatever, then maybe this experience isn't for you, right? We, there's training. We don't, I've, I've never had that happen, but, you know, if, if this isn't the type of thing you want to get into, then maybe it's not for you. But, uh, but yeah, we have, we have training beforehand where we talk about our orientations. We challenge our conceptions of cultural difference and to a certain extent cultural superiority, right? So we, we're, it's a prep a period of time beforehand. It's revisited throughout the trip, um, and then we reflect upon it when we get back. Um, so, yeah, the, the framework is not only the orientation to difference, um, changing our orientation to cultural difference, human difference, um, our approach to that. That's kind of fundamental. That's that framework. But then the values, I think, are also incredibly important. And not only in this space, these values actually are, are ones that I learned out of the William Winter Institute um, for Racial Reconciliation in M- Mississippi. Um, and uh, do we have time? Yes. I've got a couple yeah. to go through. Yes, definitely. Okay. Um, so the values that I talk about that I learned from, from the William Winter Institute are the, the notions of wonder, right? And so all of these are verbs. So the first one is wonder. You turn to wonder. What our brains want to do is turn to judgment or turn to assumptions, turn to think that we know what it is about somebody else, that we know where they're coming from. We know who they are. We know these things about them. And instead, what we train our students to do is to turn to wonder, right? Instead of assuming that you know anything about anybody, you turn to wonder. I wonder. I wonder where they learn that. I wonder why they do that. I wonder how they got to these conclusions, right? But we also turn to wonder about ourselves, right? When these notions come to our brains, well, I wonder where I got that from. I wonder if I still need that. I wonder if I can't replace that with a better approach, right? A better conception of who they are versus me. So the, the value of wonder is fundamental to, to the experience. The second one is the, what we call, or what the William Winter Institute calls grace. And although this has religious connotations in many cases, in our case, it's more the extension of goodwill to other people. So we extend grace to others. And this is fundamental right now to everything we've talked about. 
which is the notion that we extend grace to others, which is we see their humanity, we see that they're trying, we see that they're flawed, and that we, we give them the space to be students, to be learners, to, to make mistakes, but to improve upon those mistakes. And the fundamental piece of, of grace, if that wasn't enough for you, is that even if you don't think it right now, at some point in time, you are inevitably going to need somebody to extend that grace back to you because you're just as human as everybody else, right? You're going to make a mistake. You're going to say something that's insensitive. You know, I teach about cultures, and what I can tell you is that if you spent your entire life trying to learn how to correctly and respectfully and appropriately speak to every single culture, A, you can't do it in a lifetime, but even if you were able to, by the time you got to the end, you'd have to start back over because everything had changed. So you're not always going to know. You're going to make mistakes, right? So this extension of grace allows us to make those mistakes without people cornering us and pointing fingers at us and calling us names. Um, as long as we're exhibiting the, the want to change, to learn, to become better. Um, so we extend grace to others. So these are fundamental kind of values that are in, we have more values, but those are the two that I think are, are core to what we're talking about today. And what they allow is a fostering of conversations, not only within the crews that we take abroad, but in their conversations with the communities, in their interactions with the communities that we spend time in. Hmm. Uh, let's head toward another break here. Um, we're talking with Jason Gilmore, who's Associate Professor of Global Communication at Utah State University. Um, so, uh, Jason, as we head to a break here, maybe another appeal to, to our, our listeners. It's the fall member drive. Why should, why should listeners become members of Utah Public Radio? I, I think you you have an endless amount of reasons. It again, it it engages you. It makes you understand that that to better society, you have to be in the you have to have a little skin in the game, right? One of my favorite authors is Brene Brown. She's one of my heroes, um, and one of the things that she says is that you know if you don't have any skin in the game, then you have no right to to critique. If you're not out here putting yourself on the line trying to contribute, then you don't get to critique me, right? Because you don't know what it's like to be out here, right? So we need to contribute. We need to have, that's actually one of the values of our trips is contribution. We need to have a contribution. Public radio just really, the more we grow public radio, the more we contribute to public radio, the more we champion these different programs, right? Which give us that non-divided, that non um you know, overly politicized viewpoint, um, then we're creating culture, right? We're contributing to culture, to the change that moves us perhaps in a, in a direction that's more positive. So uh, you know me, Tom. I'll be here here any day, every day. <laughs> Public radio needs our support. We appreciate it. Thank you. Won't you join your support with uh, Jason's? He's a sustaining member. Won't you become a sustaining member or renew your uh, membership? Uh, maybe consider increasing that just by a little bit as well. Uh, and just take a couple of minutes. That's the critical thing. While you're thinking about it right now, go to upr.org, upr.org. That's upr.org. 
or uh, call us, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. There's a list of thank you gifts there, incentives. You can see that at upr.org. One that I might suggest has been very popular is the new UPR Fanny Pack. This is a, <laughs> this is a gr- it's green with UPR logo in white, and that'll be a nice conversation starter. Uh, Indeed. You can connect with fellow UPR members. Uh, that's for a pledge, uh, I believe it's uh, $15 a month. Um, so uh, that's just one of the of the options. Uh, go to upr.org and look at that. See if the amount that you're uh, is comfortable in your budget matches up to a thank you gift, and we'd love to to match you up. The important thing, of course, is that uh, we're looking for your support, and your support really makes a difference. We're looking for support for Access Utah and all of the programs. upr.org 800-826-1495. We'll have more following this. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have with us, uh, just uh, for another about three minutes, uh, uh, Jason Gilmore, Associate Professor of Global Communication at Utah State University. Uh, uh, you're heading over to a study abroad fair, right? Indeed. So, yep. so we have to get you over there at top of the hour. Uh, so just a couple of minutes here to wrap up this discussion. Uh, I'd like to have you, you know, make it... Uh, uh, maybe somebody's been listening and been thinking, "Yeah, I am exhausted by this," you know, mm-hmm. and I want to do something personally mm-hmm. to, to reach out. What, what would your brief suggestions be to that person? So uh, I'm not sure I have like specific suggestions. Actually, I was I was just thinking about this. Like, uh, don't look to me or anyone else to to have the, all the answers for you. Right? Look at your own situation and see what kind of contribution you can make. Right, we talk about contributions to UPR. That's important, right? We're fueling discourse that's um, that's more healthy, right? Uh, where we can see each other for for who we are a little bit more. Um, but you just have to look at the circumstances of your community, right? One of our students from the uh, the last civil rights uh, pilgrimage that we had always talked about lift where you stand, right? Lift in your community. Do something small. And if you're doing something small and your neighbor's doing something small, then those build up or add up into something larger. So be creative. Look at your community and see what kind of contribution you could make, right? Can you stand as a symbol of, of unity or, or is it just simply saying, I'm not going to laugh at, at jokes about, you know, Biden supporters, Trump supporters, whatever it is, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a new dialogue or a new, a new way of referring to people. You know, sometimes it's small contributions and sometimes it's bigger contributions. So if you have a powerful position, maybe you use that powerful position to fuel conversations within your organization, right? So how do we just have more respect for each other, right? So I think it's just, it's it's specific to everybody in their own space. But lift where you stand, see what you can do, but just make sure that you're not just being cynical, Right. Make sure that your 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 thought is about, well, how do I contribute and that that contribution is moving humanity forward, even in tiny bits in positive directions. That's all I ask. Well, that's that's great. That's a great place to, to end the, the program here. Just 30 seconds. Uh, I know we have to let you go. Uh, why do you give to, to UPR? I just I mean. I love this place. This, I, I, when I was hired into this place, I was like, "There's public radio on the campus." I was, I was sold. Um, I just, I give to this place because it is, it's a home for me, right? I, you guys are all spectacular here. You do amazing work, um, and you're here day in and day out, letting our community know that that we have 
some people we can lean on, right? Some people that we can that we know are are there for us and that are are not. I mean, to the subject of our conversation, that are not contributing to this this divisive uh, elements of our nation, but you're you're building out stories that that are meaningful to us, that talk about the goodness of humanity. I think that's really important. Here's how you support uh, this programming. 800-826-1495 is the toll-free number, 800-826-1495 or upr.org. Let's uh, go, as we always do on a Wednesday, to Beehive Archive. It's the Beehive Archive on Utah Public Radio. I'm Megan Weiss. Who owns common sources of water? As Mormons began to spread south throughout Utah Territory in the 1850s, conflict over watering holes in the desert turned deadly. Find out more after this. I'm Jody Graham, Director of Utah Humanities. Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by Utah Humanities with the generous support of the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation. We are proud to partner with community organizations to tell Utah stories and hope you will tune in each week for the Beehive Archive. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. In the arid Utah desert, one resource takes priority over all others, water. When a resource is so precious and scarce, efforts to control it can often lead to violence. As Mormon colonization moved south in the 1850s, sources of water were not guarded with fences or legal titles, but all of them were being used. Indigenous peoples managed watering holes, negotiating access among their various clans and nations. Water sources were so vital that destroying them, filling them with dirt or contaminating them, was literally an act of war. The United States Army, in its war with the Diné people during the 1860s, used this tactic to try to force them onto a reservation. Mormon leaders had their own cultural practices for managing access to water, namely to turn the resource into legal property. For example, in 1863, Mormon settler James Whitmore secured the title to Pipe Spring, a perennial water source just south of Kanab on the Arizona Strip. Whitmore used the spring as the basis for a sheep ranch. This was traditional Paiute land that the Diné also used for water and hunting, but Whitmore's title to the land around the spring meant that he alone determined who could access the water. Through the 1860s, circumstances for the Diné grew increasingly dire. Those who escaped capture by the U.S. Army laid low, while Mormon settlement encroached on the resources they needed to stay alive. It was in this context that a party of Diné raided the Pipe Spring Ranch and stole sheep, killing Whitmore and another man in the process. The Mormons retaliated. A militia called the Nauvoo Legion found a group of Paiutes nearby with a fresh sheep carcass, likely a gift from the Diné raiding party. The Nauvoo Legion brought these innocent men back to the ranch, interrogated them, and executed them. After Whitmore's death, the LDS Church assumed ownership of the property. By 1870, to deter future raids and secure their sole access to Pipe Spring, Mormons built a stone fort above the water source called Windsor Castle. The fort still stands as a reminder of the desperate circumstances wrought by forcibly claiming ownership of a common resource. Find sources in past episodes of the Beehive Archive at utahumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of Utah Humanities, I'm Megan Weiss. This is Ira Glass of This American Life. And if you're hearing the sound of my voice, chances are you have heard these pledge drives come and you've heard them go year after year, and you have never pledged. And I think I may know why. 
I think that you have noticed that even though you do not pledge personally, somehow this radio station stays on the air. Right? You have not given, and Scott Simon and Nina Totenberg somehow do not end up homeless on the street, right? And you have drawn the only possible logical conclusion, which is, it doesn't matter if you call. We will stay on the air. And I'm saying these words, and this is actually the greatest heresy a person can say during the pledge drive. I'm going to say them again right now. It doesn't matter if you call. I want you to remember this moment. You're never going to hear these words again during the pledge drive. It doesn't matter if you call. But frankly, I don't think that that is the whole picture. Because although reason tells you that we're going to be fine if you don't call, I'm here to tell you, you got to walk past reason. You got to see reason standing there in the corner, you know, smoking a cigarette and looking all smug. And you're going to walk right past reason. You're going to walk past what is logical and what is reasonable to what is actually a bigger truth. And that is that you want to do what's right. And what is right? In the simplest way that we teach a five-year-old, you know, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. What is right is that if you use something or depend on something or share something, like you share this radio station with all the other people who listen to this radio station, it is only right to help out and keep it going. That's what's right. And it is not right to let other people, people just like you and me, middle-class people with normal jobs and the same responsibilities that you have and I have, it is not right to let other people shoulder all the burden. You know? So yes, you do not have to pledge. We're going to stay on the air if you don't pledge. And that's why it's such a statement when you actually contribute. Here's the number. 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495. Uh, Tom Williams now joined by Emily Colby uh, in studio. This, it is this great is a, to This be is here. a first for us to, to be together in yeah, this studio. True. You're usually been through the glass there where Nick is right now. Um, but I, I love that testimonial from Ira Glass because it addresses the elephant in the room, right? Which I, I think. Folks probably notice that uh, if I don't give, right. it, uh, UPR still continues, right? <laughs> but uh, make a statement, as Iris said. Make a statement. Exactly. And I think Iris totally right. You know, um, we all listen to Utah Public Radio. If you're listening right now, you listen to Utah Public Radio. Um, but only one out of every 10 members gives. And um, when all of us share that burden, when more people choose to give to Utah Public Radio, we can spread that out through all of us, be a community. Um, But when you don't choose to give, then you're placing that burden on other people. And uh, so it's just a it's just a fast and easy process. If you're a potential new member to Utah Public Radio, boy, we really need you. Yes, love to have you on board. And uh, you don't have to break your bank to do it. Just whatever fits into your budget, and you'll feel better. We talk to so many people who uh, make that step and then say, oh. I, I really feel part of the I feel part of the team now. Yeah, I feel better about my listening. Uh, and we talked to enough people that we know that's 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 the case. I mean, I feel that way as well. Uh, becoming a member, eight hundred eight two six one four nine five eight hundred eight two six one four nine five or upr dot org upr dot org. Uh, so Emily Colby is our web manager. Yes. So you've set everything up. So there's a lot of stuff there if you go to upr dot org. Right? There are quite a few things you can look at. All the thank you gifts. 
events when you go click on the donate page you can go to upr.org you'll see that this afternoon we're going to have a challenge pledge from the utah climate center um so i've set all that up but the best way you can say thank you and the best way that you can participate in this member drive and in utah public radio is by giving now 800-826-1495 and upr.org we need you 800-826-1495, or upr.org. If you're listening on the UPR app, uh, which is a very convenient yes. way to listen, there's a donate button there. There's a donate button. Click that now. Um, so we would love to have you on board. A very, very fast and simple uh, process. Once again, the number is 800-826-1495 or upr.org. And thank you. Thank you so much.